We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This is episode two one six of the pod, alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso, and well, this is just a bit of things going on. Uh, so long, just the, the gone are the dog days of summer, which this used to be. But uh, you know, with with the NBA finals having butted right up to some serious baseball and some trade deadline stuff. Uh, Things are really uh, things are really churning right now. You got the NBA draft on Thursday. Not to say that this is uh, some uh, blockbuster class, but that's always interesting to see. You know what pieces are heading to what places. Uh, you got the White Sox getting a big piece of their own back, and Aloy Jimenez homering a night ago against the Royals. That was and, uh, a bomb. He absolutely game winning splash down bomb in Kansas City. Um, got a lot going on, but Matt, uh, we also have a special guest here on episode 216 because the Blackhawks are removing and a shaking. Uh, before we get into our guest, Dave Poulin of TSN, uh, repeat guest here on the Moose and Runes podcast, I want to get your take on things. I know you'll delve deeper into it in uh, our conversation, and just to be clear, this conversation was recorded before the Marc-Andre Fleury deal came through. As is but, tradition. Uh, there is a, as is tradition here on the Moose and Roots podcast, but there's a lot of Seth Jones talk. A lot of salary cap talk, Matt. Um, just give us a little preview here of the conversation and just where you're at with this aggressive approach right now by the Blackhawks. Uh, I, I think I like it because you look at what they did yesterday and all they did was take advantage of cap space. The, the two mm-hmm. moves they made, they gave up Brent Seabrook's contract and uh, you know a career minor leaguer that's probably never going to see the light of day in the NHL. So they really gave up absolutely nothing for two one i mean one guy who hopefully suits up in flurry that won the Vezina last year and another guy in tyler johnson who used to be a pretty close to a star player has had a couple down years that they're hoping that can kind of rejuvenate himself on a line with patrick kane or jonathan taves or at least gives them some depth and some cup winning experience that that team doesn't really have anymore outside of kane and taves uh so i like the moves uh, all they did was was use up the cap space that they finally have. And I think this is what we've been hoping they do for a while once they did get that cap space. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think just the way to position it as like the, again, you come at it from a little bit more of the uh, analytical and detailed side. And I'm more, I more see things uh, on ice at least from the little bit more of the fan perspective and from the fan perspective it really just looks like a team that wants to make one last run with their legendary core this is like hey we have how many years left of Kane and Tay's um, let's call them late prime years of their career let's put some players around it and make sure this isn't a full decrescendo into the abyss you know that that's kind of what it feels like to me yeah and I, we watched the last couple of years You've seen a few decent young pieces around them. They've just kind of needed the the second, third line depth. They've needed a little bit of help on the blue line, and that's kind of what Stan's gone out and done. Now, I, free agency starts, uh, I believe, in a couple hours here, so we'll see if there's any more moves to be made. I know that they've, they've taken up a lot of their cap space now, but there's always ways to get around that. I'm interested to see where they go 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 yeah, go going forward. Um, but yeah, th- this is a move to try and capitalize and not waste the last couple of years of Kane and Taves being at elite levels, even though they kind of did waste the previous few. Um, 
looks like they're trying to make up for that and make one more run at this thing. Um, I, it's, it's exciting. Uh, hopefully we're going to see all these guys in Blackhawk sweaters. We'll get a little bit uh, more into that uh, on the tail end of the Dave Poulin conversation that Matt did a great job with. But Matt, before we jump into that conversation, I want to have a different conversation about the Blackhawks and their fans and the fans who think they know better than uh, the Bowmans in the front office and, and the decision makers. Can I? Can you somehow develop a algorithm or a software where I can just mute the like I know more hockey fan, like stop spending money hockey fan? It just makes me so it like it's like what are you, you're mad that we signed Seth Jones? You're mad that we have a, a Vesna Trophy winner goalie between the pipes potentially next year like what like what is this like nose in the air hockey snobbery uh, that we've walked into here well I, I think a lot of Blackhawks fans at times including myself I would like to think I'm a fairly educated Blackhawks fan but even myself will get mad but I think Blackhawks fans got so obsessed with the idea of cap space that like, because during those Kane and Taves runs, those years they're always up against the cap and cap casualties and moving people because of the salary cap. And now we finally had that space, and I, I think part of it was he used it. He, he went out and used it, and then it put us kind of back up against the cap, which is what you want people. You know, you want players to fill up that cap space. You don't want to just have it. And I think it's like, oh well, now we don't have any cap space anymore. You have like, cap well, space to yeah. go get players. So like you want to just run around with cap space to tell people you have cap space? Yeah, the, the Mark Andre Fleury argument that people are making, I, people want to be mad at every deal Stan Bowman makes originally because that's just what people want to do. And Stan Bowman, quite honestly, the last few years has not earned the benefit of the doubt. I think this has been a good offseason. Yeah. I still think he needs to be a little bit better. Um but I th- think the only valid argument with Mark Andre Fleury is if whether or not he does play making this move right before free agency without being a hundred percent certain if you were going to have that salary on your books or not would have been nice to know. But I'd like to think he at least has a pretty darn good idea which way that's going to go. Death to hockey snobbery. Amen. Death to hockey snobbery. That's fine with me. Uh, should we jump into this conversation, Matt? We will. I will. Uh, preface this by saying the, the international data plan was, was a little bit slow, I think, at the beginning of the interview. There was a, a couple rough patches in the first okay. question, but after that, we got pretty good with reception. I just wanted to uh, make that known. But that's what you're dealing with when you have guests here on the Moose and Roots podcast from far and from wide. We're crossing we think, international waters. We think they've... I don't think we're crossing international borders. I'm not Lake, sure waters. Lake, Lake Ontario. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> you make you make a sentient point there. But uh, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with TSN hockey analyst and columnist for the Toronto Star, Dave Poulin. Hit the post with the shot! And I'd like to welcome back, I think for the third, fourth, fifth time, who knows, our, our resident hockey insider from north of the border, friend of the podcast. He's a TSN analyst. He is a writer for the uh, Toronto Star now. Um, Dave Poulin. Dave, what, what else are you doing up there? Radio? Everything? Just kind of Mr. Hockey? A little bit of everything right now, Matt. Um, quite a bit of radio, actually, and you know, in different cities. And I'll do a morning hit in Ottawa every morning right now, and uh, do some Toronto stuff. I was doing Winnipeg. We had some Vancouver going this year. So uh, Montreal radio, obviously, and a lot of Canadians games, which I am a play-by-player, a color broadcaster as well on. A little bit of everything from the hockey world. Well, it's good to know. We got uh, not not much going on in the hockey world the last couple of years here for us in Chicago, but finally got some good news. Uh, 
couple days ago when the Blackhawks landed the big fish on the on the trade market, at least in Seth Jones defensively. Was texting with you uh, last weekend when they landed the trade. You're incredibly high on them. There's some skeptics here because of some some analytics trends last season, but for the most part throughout that career, Seth Jones has been incredibly solid. So just give us a, a, an overview of what the Blackhawks are getting in Seth Jones. Well, you're getting a complete defenseman, and I think he's one of the elite defensemen in the National Hockey League. He's big. You know, things have changed in that Columbus team as well, and he's dealt with some injury issues. But I had him as the as the Norris Trophy favorite for me a couple of years ago. I mean, I think he's going to win a Norris Trophy at some point in his career. And as he settles into Chicago, it's it's pretty clear that it was where he wanted to go, which I think is interesting. And, you know, and how they steered it in that way, because there was a lot of interest in him. But, you know, part of it, I think, is going to that market and, that you know, the team that so when he would have been you know, in his teen years, he was watching the Blackhawks. And that was the team he was watching win Stanley Cups. And, you know, the step to move Duncan Keith ahead of bringing him in, I think, is pretty significant. And, you know, you've moved out now, Brent Seabrook, because of injury and, and Duncan Keith. And now you've brought in the next anchor for the defensive core. And I just think he's a complete all-around player. And he's he's still got an upside for me as well at 26 years old. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Duncan Keith trade because I got a couple things I want to ask you. They're both sides. But first, let's start with the Blackhawks side of it. Caleb Jones sets brother came over in in that deal as kind of the main chip for the Hawks what kind of player is he because I don't think many uh many people down here have seen too much of him being on late nights in Edmonton what kind of defender the Hawks getting in Caleb Jones I think a pretty all-around guy he doesn't have the offensive side of his brother but he's a good size you know he's 6'1 and he's 200 pounds and um pretty good puck mover and pretty reliable defensively and you know I, I think I was actually working in Anaheim when the Rob Scott Niedermeyer package was put together uh-huh. and you know not coincidence that we were able to track Scott at that point um, with Rob on board and, and part of that you know may have been in the thinking in the back of the minds of the Blackhawks as well for the opportunity of the brothers to play together so do you think that was that wasn't the only reason but that was probably something in the back of Stan's mind but the, the main reason was Caleb Jones is a guy who can help on the blue line this year. Well, I think he can help him on the blue line for sure this year. And, you know, he was sort of just breaking in with Edmonton and Edmonton, you know, has been through some things in the last couple of years. And, and I, I think it's a great opportunity for Caleb. He's young and defenseman takes a little bit longer sometimes. I think he's going to help the hockey club. Now, I, there was some uh, Blackhawks fans loved that trade. Obviously, seeing Duncan Keith go was tough, but you, you kind of knew he was thirty eight. He wasn't. He was no longer at the peak, and, and he wasn't going to win here while he was still, you know, being a contributor. I, I saw it from the Edmonton side of things. People weren't terribly happy with the deal up there. What do you think the Oilers are getting in Duncan Keith? Because I actually think while maybe they don't. Maybe taking on the whole five million wasn't the greatest idea. I think they're going to get a pretty rejuvenated Duncan Keith. That's maybe going to be in a system that it's a, that's a little bit better for him than the one he was asking asked to play in here. Well, over the you know, arguably you say that, but you know, I think this it's fooled with with Duncan Keith and Edmonton. They're looking for that person as mm-hmm. well, and you know, I'd liken it to Montreal bringing Shea Weber in, and when Mark Bergevin 
brought Shea Weber in. He said, Shea Weber's going to impact this hockey team, but hopefully it's going to impact the organization long-term as well. You know, in playing with younger players and what he passes on, and then, you know, flash forward 10 years from now when the young player with Duncan Keith on what they learn. And you take it for granted in terms of leadership, in terms of future Hall of Fame players through the cup run. And, you know, and that's a significant part of it. And I think there were family reasons as, as well that drew Duncan Keith back to Western Canada for his last couple of years. But I think this is a trade that works for both sides. Now, you were talking about, too, I want to get with Seth Jones, and it was Duncan Keith, obviously, too. Maybe he was he had, uh, obviously, a longer-standing relationship with the Hawks. But when a player makes a trade request like both of them did, Duncan, you're, you're probably more likely to try and honor that the best you can because of what he's done. But with a Seth Jones, when he says, like, hey, I want to be traded and I want to go here, do, do you, as a, as a front office guy, say, that's great, we'll try and get you there? Is, is it more of, like, we're going to do what's best for us, but we'll get you out of here? How How much do you kind of honor that request to go to a certain place or preference, I guess? Well, it still has to work for you as a hockey club. And Chicago paid a price to get him mm-hmm. without a question. And I know Adam Boquist had met with some, you know, some angst, a young spin and a high pick. And But you also gave up a first in this draft and a second in this draft and a first in the following draft. Mm-hmm. You paid a high price for the Blackhawks, but you also got a premium player. So you can't be held hostage by a player requesting only a certain thing. But, you know, you also stood to lose the player in a year as an outright free agent Mm -hmm. because Seth Jones only had a year left. And that's, you know, that's crafty management on his part by his management group in order to get out ahead of it. And, you know, it's funny with Columbus. I always call a game. It's a good hockey. It's a good I mean, state dominates the city, but it's just a really good, you know, Midwestern city and they haven't been able to retain their players. And that's tough because the guys that play there love it. And yet in order to retain your players, you have to win. You have to put them in a winning environment and they haven't quite got over that. Yarmo Kekalainen has rolled the dice a couple of times and, and made significant trades. He's, he's won the G to make trades. So Seth Jones asked a general manager who he knew had made big trades because he traded for him. One deal with Ryan Johansson, but he's made other big deals with Chicago, the Panarin deals, you know, sawed back and forth a couple of times and he's willing to make deals. And so I, I think Seth Jones, yes, maybe narrowed the market, but he did hold the card of in a year I can walk. Okay. So I, I, Wanted to ask you now about um, – I just lost my train of thought for a second, Dave. Uh, the expansion draft. Um, the Seattle Kraken had their opportunity to take several high-name players. Granted, some of them were free agents or you know, was negotiating rights to players. But you saw a Vladimir Tarasenko on the market. You saw a Carey Price on the market. You saw even with, with the guys the Blackhawks here locally left you know, exposed. They went with John Quenville, who that just, I don't get it. Um, what did you make of their strategy, their thinking behind all that? And I, Yes, there might still be some trades to come of it, but you thought maybe they might have happened already. I think a lot of people are just confused by that strategy. Very, very different right from the start. And I think this started long before the actual draft. And, you know, a, a good friend of mine sat with Bill Foley, the owner of Vegas and two of his lieutenants about six weeks before they played their first game. 
And Bill Foley said, we'll win a Stanley Cup in six years. And I can remember both of his lieutenants just looking at us like, really? We're going to win a cup in six years? Well, they almost won it their first year. They won yeah. the Stanley Cup finals. And it was just a different philosophy right from the start. And they also had the advantage of being the first expansion draft in a number of years. And so teams were led to believe that they were going to lose players that they didn't want to lose. And so they gave up additional assets. They, they picked up Alex Tuck and Eric Holla from Minnesota, Shea Theodore and Clayton Stoner, you know, from Anaheim, mm-hmm. Riley Smith and Jonathan March. So from Florida. So they were traded one player to take the other one to avoid taking someone else. And they ended up with a pretty good hockey club because of it. But with Seattle, nobody bid on that. Everybody just, went with the philosophy, look, take a player. And I think Seattle is a longer-term build. And they're going to see what their cap space does for them over the next couple of years. With the pandemic and the tightening revenues, it's really going to be tight for money over the next couple of years. And I think they're, they believe the asset of cap space is going to be more effective over the next couple of years. And they're going to build a little slower because of it. Do you think it has – I mean, Vegas, uh, we talked about is, you know, you kind of have to go in and win right away to – capture that fan base to make money you have to be flashy you have to be good from the start whereas seattle all of their sports markets or sports fan bases their teams their, their fan base is pretty rabid for any team that shows up there do you think they maybe felt they had they didn't have to go out and win go be a playoff team right away to, to keep that fan base locked in because that fan base is pretty loyal to most of their sports franchises yeah that very well may be the case and, and don't forget for vegas this was the first time they ever had their own team in one of the four major sports mm-hmm. they've had, you know, okay, well, you know, you get the Raiders, but they're not there. They weren't know? there yet. Yeah. The, the Knights were the first team. And, but, but this is their team right from the start. Mm-hmm. And there was an ownership level there. And yeah, I believe they thought they were, there was a totally different philosophy. And if you look now, they had three first round draft picks in that first draft. They've traded them all already mm-hmm. for current players. So it's a different thought process. Ronnie Francis in Carolina was much more patient, and I think he's going to do the same thing in Seattle. Uh, I, I want to get to now uh, your your home base, Toronto. Um, obviously, it, it, more more heartbreak there for the Leafs this uh, this playoffs. They had the three one lead again, and, and again couldn't hold on to it. This one, this one sting a little bit more in Toronto because it was to Montreal. I think I know the answer to that, but I just kind of wanted to ask it. Oh, absolutely! It stung more, but it stung more because. You know, now that's the fourth time, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's happened and in all different ways. But up 3-1 in the series against a team that, by all accounts, they were picked to beat by everybody. And it really, really hurt. And the way they lost hurt, I mean, they just it was just painful for them. And now, they're, you know, there's a question. They're going to lose Zach Hyman in free agency to the mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers. And they may not bring back Freddie Anderson. And I don't see how they're going to be a better team next year. Now, they have a lot of work to do and they have some time. But, you know, the the clock is definitely running. They've lost four straight years in the first round and and they have to win a playoffs. What exactly has happened to Freddie Anderson over the last few years? Because I I remember him in Anaheim when they first traded for him. He had a fantastic series against the Hawks when that one went to seven. Um, in 2015, he came to or came to Toronto. He was pretty good, and then by you know games five, six, and seven, it was Jack Campbell in net. Like, 
what is he just his game falling off or what's what's kind of happened to him over the last few years because it seems like since that trade to Toronto he's either caving into the pressure or just kind of on a on a downslide I don't think it's pressure I I, I think it's just his body hasn't held up he's been asked to do a lot and he's Mm -hmm. played an awful lot of games over the years and you know Mike Epcock in particular he wanted Freddie to play every game yeah and you know and that's that's what was going to happen and so I think that, you know, his body hasn't held up as well as he would have liked. And, and quite frankly, they weren't very good defensively in front of him. So a lot was asked of him as a goaltender. And, you know, in terms of number of games played, he played a lot of games. He was playing high 60s. And, you know, in today's, that's a lot of work. And I think he just got worn down and, and physically got beaten up to a point where he wasn't as effective. So if you are I'm going to put you back in your old chair here if you're if you're running the Maple Leafs this off season like what what is your plan of attack to try and get them over that hump what do they need to add and how do they handle that cap space like you were talking about losing Zach Hyman they have all the high paid players how do you kind of navigate that this off season It is so challenging Matt it really is and you know you've got to find a compliment for Jack Campbell Jack Campbell has never played more than 26 games in an NHL season has started. And that was a combined between the LA and the Leafs. Um, and now you're asking him at 29 years old to be the starter and the number one guy. So you've got to find a compliment to him in the next short period of time. That's number one. But you're tied literally by the cap. And all you can do is pick the right players to come in and support this lead group. As long as you spend 53% of the cap or 52% of the cap on four players that play the same position, mm-hmm. you're going to be tied to finding, you know, low cost players that can come in and play the job. But what you don't get then is the continuity of a team. And if you look at, you know, Tampa and the success they had, a guy like Alex Kalorn has been there. He's been a part of the organization Forever. since two, 2007, Matt. Mm-hmm. It was a draft pick in 2007 and, you know, the longevity of Hedman and Stamkos and guys they've kept together, um, Vasilevsky since 2012, it just lets you build a team and Toronto has struggled to do that because they've had to have changeover in that bottom group. So I'll then ask you about the Hawks who have gone through this situation. They've kind of had that longevity. Granted, a lot of those guys are now retiring, you know, moving on because of cap cash, but the last five to six years, they've had that they've had that continuity with a lot of the same names leading the way as long as, you know, the, the, the bottom six, some of the second liners have changed. The names have changed there, but you've, you've still had Kane. You've still had Taves with the exception of last year. Keith was there the whole time. Seabrook was there for a while. Why, why do you think Stan Bowman hasn't been able to put the team on the ice there to get them back to, you know, obviously Pittsburgh changed management, but they were able to find that kind of second run with that group. Why do you think Stan Bowman hasn't been able to do that? You know, it's it, it's as much because of the timing of his numbers as well and financially. And, you know, and now you've started to have the retirement. You know, you had it in net and with Crawford and, and then the unfortunate Brook. But it much financial as anything. I mean, those big contracts for Kane and Taves didn't kick in until after the third cup. Mm-hmm. And so you were so fortunate to get through that. And, you know, now you've got some kids. I mean, I think Kirby Doc is a real deal. I think he's terrific. Debrinkhead obviously is. And you're trying to pair them with Kane and Taves. And you didn't have Jonathan Taves last year. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you've got a Taves that's healthy back. 
But this isn't the only team that's in that position. If you look at the Bruins have tried to rebuild around their group now. They won in 2011. They tried to do it. The Kings were unable to do it. And have really, really, you know, they won in 12 and 14. And then Pittsburgh was the one team that was able to come back from their earlier cup in 2009 and win in consecutive years. But Washington is trying to do it around Ovechkin. St. Louis, a cup winner, is Mm -hmm. trying to do it around their core group. It's just really, really hard. The numbers are so challenging, and now a flat cap makes it even that much harder. I think the issue that Blackhawks fans have is that the – I'll say it myself included – is that all those teams you just mentioned, while maybe they haven't gotten back to the – to the top they haven't won another cup like you look at washington washington's the top three seed in the in the east every year boston's the top of the east team every year st louis is you know they won a cup but they're winning the they're in a division every year i think what's bothered hawks fans the most is not only have they not gotten back there but it's been such a steady decline of not even giving you know patrick kane and jonathan taves and duncan keith another chance i think that's kind of you look at these hawks teams the last few years and they're just they're not only not playoff teams, they're kind of not really competitive when it comes to the elite of the elite of the NHL. And I think that bothers Hawks fans to several, several ends. Yeah. And of course it does, except the Blackhawks won three times. It, uh, that's, and, that's fair. You know, that's a fair the point. other teams you're talking about won once other than Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's the one team that had the gap from 2009, you know, through forward to 16, 17. Mm-hmm. But but everybody else just won once. Yeah, that's a fair and, point, and that's a big, big difference. We're getting we're getting selfish. We're getting spoiled up uh, down here in Chicago. <laughs> As we, you we should had the, be. We just had the three, only the three cups, but we want more of them. Uh, there's there's one name you mentioned there in that run of Corey Crawford, and obviously he's retired now. But we were talking about the Toronto goaltending situation and. With what he uh, granted, he never really reported to New Jersey because he wanted to be in Chicago slash wanted a chance to play for a winner. Wouldn't he have been like a great fit to be part of a one A one B situation in Toronto, coming off that bubble where he was lights out? Was that I ever talked you, about? Uh, even uh, an option? You know, it really wasn't um, because you had Freddie Anderson at that point, okay. and you know, it's it's been the emergence of Campbell who you know, is so tempting because he makes $1.7 million. I mean, that's why he's tempting and and 29 years old and a former first round draft pick who'd never really come into his own. So, you know, with Freddie, it's hard to couple, you know, spending money at goalie positions is so funny in the NHL because teams are reluctant to do it and they think they can get away. And the analytics model says you don't need a big time goalie in net, but the hockey coach says you do. I I, glad you said analytics in the model there. I want to ask you how, when you're in that chair, grantedly, that was that wasn't you know as analytics aren't as prevalent you know five ten years ago as they are right now. But how do you balance that analytics approach versus what I'm seeing with my eyes approach? Because there's I feel like that's as big of a debate now as it has been with ever across not just hockey but across baseball, basketball, football, all these sports. It's it's finding that balance of analytics and what I'm actually seeing. It's a huge question, and there has to be a balance, and and both are important. You know, I looked at numbers all the time. I didn't necessarily call them analytics. And my idea, of course, I I looked at that every single – I mean, after every period, that's the first thing I looked at was shot attempts, not just shots on net. Because I wanted to see the blocks, and I wanted to see the misses, and I wanted to see all those things. And I, I think it's finding effective measures. So let's take hits, for instance. If you say, you know, you've got 20 more hits than me during the game, I'll tell you, well, that's because we've got the puck and you're chasing the game. 
But then if you tell me, okay, I've got this many hits that led to turnovers in possession. Well, now that's a really effective stat for me. If I'm hitting you and I'm taking the puck from you on the hit, like that's a, that's a really, really effective measure for me. So I think it's just defining what the measures are, that they're not hollow. And, you know, I can put a whole bunch of paper in front of you with a whole bunch of different statistics. And you're saying, you know, and so take zone entries, for instance. And zone entries have become a very fashionable zone exit zone entries. And, you know, in this day and age, they say, okay, well, zone entries, how many a period, whatever. When I looked up and saw zone entry, so if I looked up and I saw Ray Bork on one side and whomever on the other side, I was going to the other side. That was my version of zone entry. Like, it was, you know, we, we did all this, but we just did it by figuring it out. You know, if you looked up and saw Doug Wilson, you were saying, okay, I'm not going to go on his side. I'm going to go to the other side of the ice, and that's going to be my zone entry. Um, so I think it's all good information, but it doesn't stand alone. You still have to see a player. You still have to have the measurement. Um, you know, it's why a player like Braden Point was a third-round pick, because you don't measure the heart and the compete and the ability to come through in the clutch. And, and that's where, you know, eyes on boots on the ground and eyes on the player have to always be a part of sports. Okay, so I'm going to bring it back to Seth Jones here. And I know we talked about it, but I just want to be <laughs> double down and be safe. The ad- the analytics for him last year were not good. You're saying uh, I we're going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Last year was an anomaly. He's still a very, very, very elite defenseman. That's exactly what I'm saying. Good. That's good. Um, I just I needed to confirm that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, he had the advantage, too, of playing with a pretty good player in Zach Wierenski, who missed oh, yeah. half of the year last year. And so, you know, he was playing with different partners during the course of the year. And, yes, he's a carry at defenseman in terms of he's, you know, he's a guy. But when you have a comfort of playing with one guy, you had number two and number seven together for years who were incredibly effective. And you're allowed to have a good partner. And Seth Jones will have to be, you know, you'll have to find that partner for him. Um, I got one last question, I think, for you. And I want to ask you about the Olympics coming up, which is next year in South Korea, I believe, right? Um, Do you think we're going to see the NHL there? I I know COVID has probably thrown a a big wrinkle into everything, even though it seems like we're kind of on the right side of this thing. Who knows what's going to happen a year from now and there's no fans in Tokyo. Do you think the NHL and the Players Association will come to an agreement to get the NHL players back in the Olympics? Ah, that's a that's a tough question, Matt. I, I do think, and it's because of a group of really high-end players who are pushing to be Olympians. And mm-hmm. you know, I know Connor McDavid's made it public that he wants to go to the Olympics. Well, if the best player in the league wants to go, you've got to listen. But at the same time, with what the league has been through in the last two years, and the you know, and because of the pandemic, selfishly, I would like to see a regular season not interrupted by it. I mean. You know, I mean, it's easy for me to say because mm-hmm. I don't have a direct tie to the Olympics. But to disrupt the season again, the owners, of course, don't want to see it because they don't want to disrupt the season for two plus weeks. You know, at the prime of the year, the NFL has just ended. You know, all eyes are on hockey through that stretch, and you're going to disrupt the game, you know, again. And, you know, so I, I get why guys want to go. I think it's just, you know, we've had two years where the league has been upside down in terms of, 
two years ago playing the playoffs in a bubble and an abbreviated season last year and compressed schedules because of all the COVID-related teams and just so many factors. I would love normal, but that's what we all want in our lives right now, and sometimes that's not an option right now. Oh, fair enough. It's, it's all all very valid points. Well, Dave, free agencies tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, best of luck. I know you guys have a, a huge broadcast. and It pretty much runs all day up there, right? Yeah, I'm on air for seven straight hours. Man. Oh, that's not so bad. That's the, uh, it. Yeah. Seven? <laughs> There's a lot of homework being done right now. So I'm in my final stages of it. And I have a little system that I employ three times a year. I do it at trade deadline. I do it at the start of the year. And I do it at free agency. And so I'm 98% through finishing my so, – so actually, I'm, a, I'm ahead of the curve in terms of the way I used to study in college. Way ahead of it. <laughs> Um, with like 24 hours to go before I go on air. Oh, that's that, that's just maturing right there. Where's Dougie Hamilton going? That's exactly what's your right. What, what's your system say about Dougie Hamilton? Uh, Carolina. You think he stays? I do. I do, Matt. I think it was a case where if you take Zach Hyman and he, you know, both camps were telling their teams what they thought they could get in the open market and both were told, we'll go see if you can get it. Well, Zach Hyman went and it looks like he got it. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with Dougie Hamilton, he went out in the market and obviously Seth Jones may have clogged it up a little bit for him. And, and you know, with the numbers that have come in on McCarr and, and Jones, I don't think Dougie Hamilton commands a, a, no. a number that starts with nine. I just don't. And for me, you know, Speaking of analytics, darlings, he is one of those, and I think he goes back to Carolina. Do the Blackhawks add anybody of significance? Um, but I think, I, significance might not be the wrong word. Probably not a big fish, but who do you think they target? I think I think you know you may see a sleeper in there, and you know there's a couple of really good players that would be really good third liners. I think Yoel Armia is one of them. I think Andrew Kopp is one of them. And, you know, players that... He's been a headache to play against in Winnipeg oh. the last few years. I hate playing against that guy. You know what? But the offensive side came out this year for him in a mm-hmm. whole different way. And, you know, if, if I'm building a third line, I'm starting with Andrew Cobb. And so there may be some players that are a little bit below their normal radar who I would have a high level of interest in. There's another defenseman out there who's a UFA, and that's Ryan Murray. Columbus, and, right? He was in Columbus it, for a while. Uh, he was a... F- yeah, he was second overall pick in Columbus. He's yeah. in New Jersey now. Okay, you know, twenty-seven years old and and just really steady defensively. He was never a big offensive guy, but he'd be a guy that, you know, that I plug in now as a really really strong five-six and say, you know, that that would solidify things. So a couple guys that are under the radar for you. All right, we're going to keep an eye out there. This is the last last question: Where is Vladimir Tarasenko going to end up? I'm just I'm glad to see him out of St. Louis, but where do you think he ends up? So you do think he's out of St. Louis then? It seems like he was pretty adamant about wanting out of there. Maybe that's just my hopes being being very high that I don't have to see him on the ice against the Blackhawks anymore. Okay, then let's send him west. Let's send him to one of those three California teams that, you know, Fine. I'm still waiting for them to do a little bit more. I think I think LA has been you know, notably, they tried to move their number eight pick for mm-hmm. an effect for a player and weren't able to do that. So I, I think he ends up out west, and, and they've all built up, uh, particularly Anaheim and, Saint, and L.A. have built up um, a nice group of young players that they could use as trading chips. All right. Well, that's that's about all I have for you. Vladimir Tarasenko is going west. The Blackhawks are coming to terms with Andrew Kopp and Ryan Murray. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first on the, on the Moose Friends podcast. Breaking news. Always a pleasure, Matt. Good luck with everything. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck on the show. If, if you can in the States, stream it on TSN. See what they got, see what they're talking about, see where everybody ends up. Thanks, Dave.
Thank you, as always, to Dave Poulin for stopping by the Moose and Runes podcast. I mean, few can speak about the NHL the way that man can. has made a life around it, a life of it. Uh, and to have his knowledge here on the Moose and Runes podcast is never taken for granted. So thank you again to Dave Poulin. Matt, you did a great job with that. Um, with a couple days or hours at least to digest now, what's your overarching takeaway uh, in terms of Dave's attitude of the Blackhawks and where they currently stand? Uh, I just, I think the most promising thing to me was how high he is on Seth Jones. Um, mm-hmm. Seth Jones was a polarizing trade target, to say the least, the, the week leading up to that deal. Um, I would love to see how many Blackhawks fans that were ripping the deal and using the one same analytics model saying they didn't like him actually watched Seth Jones the last year a bunch. But Dave's a guy who has. Dave's a guy that knows hockey. And if, if he's that high on Seth Jones saying he's a possible future Norris Trophy winner, then I'm I'm all on board with that. You know, if, if it means overpaying a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there, just for the ability to, to make the who Seth Jones joke, or who Seth Jones, Mike like Jones yeah, type you. illusion um, for the next however many years, totally worth it. Not my money, pay the guy. Maybe we'll get um, a t-shirt on there. Seth who? Jones, who? Seth Jones. No, yeah. it's who? Seth, Seth Jones. Jones. Yeah. I said we'll get a t-shirt there. I'm trying to remember, what was the phone number? 281-330-8005. Hit Seth Jones up on the low. I like that. Put that on a t-shirt. Tim. There you go. Tim, if you're listening. That's that's your next project. Get get the t-shirt people on it. Uh, man, t-shirt hey, you want to dive into some want to dive into some buyer sells here. Hit a couple other topics before we say goodbye. Let's do it. You want to kick it off? Yeah, let's keep it hockey for a moment because yes, we hear the Vesna Trophy winner Mark Andre Fleury is a Blackhawk. We got him for next to nothing. Um, really, just unfortunate the way that he heard about things. Apparently, found out via Twitter. Um, his agent was not contacted. He was not contacted. Vegas just dealt the guy. Um, and they're going to go at Robin Leonard between the pipes as their one. It looks like Marc-Andre Fleury will be our one, but I phrase it that way because buy or sell, Matt, we see Fleury in a Blackhawk sweater. He and his agent have both alluded to the possibility of retirement. Um, not that we would lose a whole lot in this deal if he did retire because it didn't cost us anything, but buy or sell, we do see him starting for the Blackhawks next season. I am still going to buy it because I just I don't believe that that move gets made with Stan Bowman not having some sort of knowledge of what's about to happen, whether or not the agent knew nothing or the agent just hadn't heard from Vegas. I think there are two different mm-hmm. things. I think Mark Andre Fleury's name was in the news rumor mill ever since the season ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still think he does. It's only one year left on the contract. It's $7 million. You're not going to Columbus. No offense to Columbus, but like you're going to an original six franchise in a city like Chicago with, you know, hockey people like Jonathan uh, Taves and Patrick Kane. Like I, I, if it were a different situation with a lesser team like Columbus, I think he might actually consider it. But I think, when cooler heads prevail, $7 million to go play one year with the Chicago Blackhawks is probably what he ends up doing. After that, I, I think it's he very well might retire or might kind of pick his own uh, path from there. I'm not sure it's much more than one year with the Blackhawks, but I do think we see him suit up this year. Yeah, and you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is a legend in the game. He's a Hall of Famer. He's made, I'm looking at it now, $81.4 million dollars. In his career, he's due six next year of base salary. Um, no disrespect to a man who's made $81 million uh, over the last 20-so-odd seasons or 15, uh, uh, excuse me, 17, 18 seasons. Um, but 
hockey money and just at its core is the thinnest money in professional sports yeah. or, in, or in the big four. Um, $81 million taxed. Let's cut it in half and call it 40. Uh, let's take agency fees off of that. So he's down to thir- – I'm not counting Marc-Andre Fleury's chips, but there's always room to make more money. I, mm-hmm. I know he's probably set up very nicely. I know that he's probably – taken care of for the rest of his life and generations to come. But your Marc-Andre Fleury with that brand name, why not play this season, win another trophy of some sort, capitalize on that Vesna, get another three-year or three-by-20, three-by-15 or something in that, and maybe, you know, skate off into the sunset in a backup role. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury, that name and that ability can always make more money is my point that I'm trying to make here. And more money is always a good thing when you're playing in the sport that doesn't offer up one-time hitter, you're made for life, nine-figure contracts. Like yeah, it does exactly. in baseball and in basketball and in even some cases in, in football the, the, with the guaranteed money uh, getting to the point where it's at. I think that my point is here is Marc-Andre Fleury, not that he's strapped for cash, I think would there's welcome still a lot of another money contract. Yeah. Yes, there's still a lot of money left to be made, even a contract beyond this one. Is that in Chicago? Is that not in Chicago? No. But Marc-Andre Fleury is that brand name that's always going to at least, you know, if the glove's moving and he can get up and down out of the pads, he's going to be able to make money with his skill set. Yeah, I, I think it's – I do think that's ultimately what he ends up deciding because it is just the smart decision. I know he doesn't want to relocate his family, and quite honestly – might not have to. You're, you're here for one year. Your family can kind of stay where they're at, where they want to be. And then next year when you're mm-hmm. a free agent, hey, say maybe you like it here, then you do move them. But if you don't, I would bet you the Pittsburgh Penguins would be all on board with bringing you back on to be their starting goaltender or 1A in a in 1A, 1B situation if you have another good year like you did last year. Yeah, I think that um, I think that we see him. And I, I know I've talked about it before here, but opening night at the UC – First time that fans can pack out the Madhouse, first national anthem, the way Chicago does it, Marc-Andre Fleury between the pipes, Jonathan Tays skating out onto that sheet for the first time in a long time. It's going to be a special night, and I think Fleury is a part of it. I do too, and I, I think maybe he's also a little bit peeved just because of bad taste in his mouth. Because yeah, I, well, I, how, Vegas, be? how Vegas has treated him for how good he's been for them. How they've kind of treated him the last year and a half, I, I would be very annoyed by. And that might just leave a bad taste in your mouth by any organization. I, mm-hmm. I think maybe he might just be a little bit tired of that. And I hope that doesn't drive him too far away from the game. I don't think it does. I think he does end up playing for the Blackhawks. But yeah, after trading for Robin Leonard without consulting him, kind of him having a Vezinier last year, then him getting pulled in the playoffs, then him basically saying he doesn't want to go anywhere but Pittsburgh, and then them trading him without telling him, like, it's not – Vegas handled him very poorly, not just as yeah. a player but as like a human being. Yeah. So I'd be a little um, if I was him too. And, you know, who knows if he loved the way that things were handled even in series with the sit him down, mm-hmm. play him, bring him back, um, get Leonard in there, take Leonard out, should Leonard start. Um, tough. tough. Tough ending but, uh, but a new beginning here in Chicago. All right, Joe. We've been hockey heavy, so we'll go around the around – the, Around the spray chart, whatever we call it here. There you go. Um, do you want to go baseball or college football? Let's go baseball. Let's go baseball. Over uh, the, the deadline, I believe, is the thirtieth. This is the twenty eighth, so we got a couple days here. Over under, I'm going to say instead of buy or sell, one and a half of 
Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez are traded from the Chicago Cubs within the next two days. Hmm. That's tough just because, like, my mind tells me over, but my mind also says, how are these deals not done yet? Like, yep. how has, how has um, Chris Bryant not become a Met? Um, the way he's talking, it sounds like he knows he's gone. How has uh, how has uh, Javi Baez um, not, you know, that that walk off and scene that he put on a, a couple nights ago? How is that not the selling point? Was he not moved yesterday? Like, just feels like these things should be happening already with the deadline quickly approaching. Still going to take the over because you don't have team control on any three of those three guys next year. Right? Uh, correct. There's a, or is there a year of team control on Rizzo? Nope. They are all you gotta move free them. agents. You gotta move them or you gotta extend them. And it doesn't seem like the Cubs want to extend anybody. I'm taking the over because if this is a rebuild, if this is a tear it down, start over, new era, new generation, the post Theo era, if you will, um, then yeah, it's gotta be all three. It's gotta be the over. I'm with you. You get you have to move them. You have yeah. to move at least two of the three. I, but, you know, people knowing that you're in that situation isn't the best thing for your negotiational leverage. No, but like, and it's it's their own fault for waiting this long. I, I think maybe what they're doing is trying to create a bidding war to maximize that value a little bit. But you knew the last couple of years that you probably should have traded Chris Bryant and you, you decided to hold on one last or trade or extend him. You didn't do that. You didn't. You were indecisive, and this is where you're at now. This is, these are the returns you're left with because of your own indecisiveness. But you still have to move on and get something for him instead of just taking that second round compensation pick. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I totally agree. I think that uh, I think that they're kind of between a rock and a hard place right now. And this is, you know, if you're going to uh, fully throw yourself into this rebuild, these are the most important days of it. Um, the haul on what was your franchise players, what were your franchise players, will set you up to then rebuild the team. I mean, yeah. if you get if you get shorted here in the next forty eight hours on Chris Bryant and his value, and Javi Baez and his value, Anthony Rizzo his value, well, then that's that hill gets increasingly steeper uh, on the way back. So yeah. um, it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out here in the next couple of days. I love uh, trade Matt, deadline season, Matt. I got another one for you. Me too, but I'm just like. Chained to the desk. I was going to say, you're probably exhausted. I, as a consumer, love it's like someone tell, network on it. Someone tells Xavier and Howard to shut up. Uh, it's a trade <laughs> deadline, Allison. Just go, just go to camp. You got $75 million. Your agent signed a crappy deal. You're the best in the league. You had 10 interceptions last year, but you signed a contract. You want to you hold out? You can't hold out. It's $50,000 a day. So he's coming to practice. He's requested a trade. Where are you going? Where are you going? Different conversation. I got to buy or sell for you, Matt. <laughs> buy or sell the Olympics. Have you been watching? I got to be honest. I really haven't been watching Me much. Like I, I'm usually somewhat into it. It just for whatever. It's probably has to do a lot with the the time difference and everything being on at weird hours. I think we talked last week about Olympic golf. I, I think that starts like this evening around five or so. I would tune into that maybe for a little bit, mm-hmm. but like I just I find myself We're not, golf we are golf pod. People do forget that. I just don't really care that much. The basketball team's kind of uninspiring, and that maybe they win gold, maybe they don't. But do I truly care all that much? Not really. I just I don't know. It's hard for me to get. <laughs> it, it honestly, it's just it's hard for me to get involved in the Summer Olympics all that much. It always kind of has been. I prefer the Winter Olympics a little bit, but even then, it's like it's never been much must watch TV for me. 
Yeah, I think that, um, you know, not to be critical of a competitor here, but I think NBC's done a terrible job in putting it in front of us. Like, I would a lot totally of times, we're, we're sports fans, you and I, of the highest degree. If you put it on in front of us and make sure we're seeing it, we will watch it. I will watch curling. Mm-hmm. I will watch archery. I will watch cycling. I will watch triathlons, sprints, diving. I will watch it all. I will watch three-on-three basketball for a couple minutes. I will watch regular basketball. We'll watch it all. I just they're, – they're putting a barrier between you and the product in us having to figure out which of the five channels are they broadcasting it on. How do we get that? Is this part of premium? Is this free Peacock? Do I need mm-hmm. to give you my uh, email address or my social security number? It's just there's too many barriers to entry and – it's made it really hard to just turn on the TV and say, oh, it's, you know, women's team event. Let's watch this. Oh, it's rollerblading. Let's watch that or whatever. I, like, it's just, it's ping pong. Like, put it on, put it on NBC. Put it on CNBC. Put it on all your channels. Yeah, like, not I, sound like, not I sound like tell the old you, man. But I could also, I couldn't tell you what sport, like, I can say, I know they're broadcasting on USA sometimes. Like, it's rarely on NBC. Like, I don't really even know where to find them. Like, I, I got to scroll through. I have to scroll through like my entire TV, like guide on my on my cable box. I just think the, I just think the rollout I could just, have been a lot cleaner yeah, here, and all, just not having these videos on Twitter, like being in front of you on social media, is just it's dumb. That's how you yeah. promote these. That's how you yeah. grow your. That's how you get people to tune in is by showing people how cool this is, and they just don't let any of their stuff get out. They're protecting like, their even baseball's way too much. Got, even baseball's gotten better with like allowing footage onto social media allowing 100%. us to kind of celebrate the stars this is uh, you haven't seen a clip and like great the the olympic committee and nbc can keep all of this in their vault for nobody to see but that does nothing nothing to grow interest in this event or in this um you know in this spectacle and all the individual events couldn't agree more uh you got anything else i do uh we, we got to talk uh, little, i was college, college football, football here we got to yeah. talk a little college football here it's it's pretty simple. It's the big news of the day, week, whatever. Buy or sell the Oklahoma-Texas to the SEC move. I sell it because we're just starting to figure out who's in these conferences after the realignment five years ago or six or seven, however long ago it was. Like It doesn't feel like Rutgers is a part of the Big Ten. It doesn't feel like Nebraska is a part of the Big Ten. It doesn't feel like Maryland's a part of the Big Ten. What you're doing here is you're creating fractures in rivalries. And yes, okay, you take the biggest rivalry out of the Big 12 in Texas and Oklahoma, and you take that rivalry and you plant it in the SEC, it's still not going to feel like SEC football or the true essence of that rivalry. That's a Big 12 rivalry. Let that be a Big 12 rivalry. I understand money is involved. I understand it's big business. And I understand when these TV contracts come around, that really can reshape the landscape of college football. But again, if you're catering to a fan base, if you're trying to build legacy viewership with the younger demographic now, um, you're putting yourself in a bad spot because you are creating all of these weird fractures. Like, what What do we want to watch Texas get their brakes beat off by Alabama for? Like, let that happen in a bowl game when Alabama has the off year and loses two games. Like, what do we need to see Ole Miss stomp Oklahoma and diminish that brand you know let let big 12 football be big 12 football let sec football be sec football let's figure out who's who at the end of the season when you give me your best yeah it it just it it just is um 
I mean, it's, it seems a bit synthetic. It seems a bit fabricated. These teams don't belong there, I guess, is my, my major takeaway. Yeah, I like the I like that word synthetic. I think that sounds about right. I just I know it's all a money thing, and it's, it's going to the place that can get you the most money, I'm sure. But from just, just a brand standpoint and from a giving your team, your program, the best chance to succeed, I don't know why. Like, Texas can't. You know, win more than eight games, nine games in the Big Twelve, and they want to go to the SEC where they think they're going to be back there. Like Oklahoma has a really good thing going. They play Texas and right now like Iowa State, and those are kind of the two tough games they have all year. And then they cruise to usually a one-loss season, and they're right there in the playoff every year. They're not going to have the same cakewalk in the in the SEC yeah. that they have in the Big Twelve. Not they're not. Close. They're not going to be at least originally. I don't think the team that's in the playoff hunt every year now. I just I don't get from a success standpoint on the field unless they think with where they are located like regionally that they'll have an advantage because they can tell kids you can live at home but still play in the SEC. I don't really know, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in terms of success for their programs. That said, at least in the early stages, I'll probably get excited for some of those matchups. I just think eventually they'll feel a little bit fake. You know, silver lining to this now, the massive target on those two teams back for the next four years. Because this deal doesn't go into effect until 2025. Is and there, it's not even confirmed that the SEC wants them. Is they there a way the that... The SEC needs to sit and figure out how they want this to work. Is there a way that that process gets expedited that it actually turns into like I don't think so. Like they're, they're, under, they're under a TV contract until through okay. 2025. So now everybody in the Big 12 is going to want their piece of these jerks who don't think our conference is good enough for them. You want to go to another conference and contend there? Well, how about you get the brake speed off of you for four years here? And yes, I understand. Oklahoma right now is the gold standard of the conference. Texas, not so much. Um, I really think that this even uh, this enlarges the target on those two teams' bats and their backs, and they're going to get everybody's best punch uh, each and every week in the Big 12 for the next four years. I think I, saw, I think I saw, too, the Big 12 reversed their ruling on the horns down being a penalty, and now that Texas is leaving, it's no longer a penalty. What a joke. <laughs> I said, oh, the kid from, who was it? Um, it was during Big 12 media days or something. I forget what school it was from, but this big, thick neck, big head defensive lineman with a southern draw. He said, you know, if, the, if horns down it hurts your feelings too much, I don't think you should be playing in this conference. Like, he's, you know, he's not like, wrong. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think you're going to make it too far in this conference. Like, if that's if that really hurts your feelings. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, preach, buddy. He's not wrong. He's not yeah. wrong. Uh, I think that's all we got. That's it. That's it. Uh, again, big thanks to Dave Poulin for uh, jumping on the pod once again, recurring guest here on the Loose and Roots podcast. Get him one of those Who Seth Jones t-shirts. If we yeah. get the, we'll, we'll send, if we get we'll marketing send one on that. We'll send one of those yeah. over. Um, uh, he's got to pay for the shipping, though. You know, yeah, I, I, I can't. We just, we, we, we're not making much money here. We got to make our we got to make our margins. We got to make our margins. But uh, for now, Bears are in camp. We're going to start probably getting to those, some of those conversations coming up the next. Bears weeks, are in people. camp. Bears it's only a matter of time until we're calling for Justin Fields under center. I can't do it. I won't do it. Just uh, let him develop. Deep breaths. Yeah, let him develop. Wait, wait we'll, till week uh, four. We'll get there eventually, and uh, it'll be glorious when we do. But for now, he is Matt. I am Joe. We appreciate you guys for tuning in to the Moose and Roots podcast. Podcast that podcasts as well. Change the name. Copyright it. Moose and Roots podcast. Podcasts. Uh, thank you as always for tuning in. He is Matt. I am Joe. Get us up on Twitter and uh, 
and uh, this thing's coming apart at the seam. So I'm just going to say goodbye. Uh, it's at Moose and Runes, at mrooney23, at Moose on Air. Hit us all up. Send us your mailbag questions. But until next episode, we'll talk to you then. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>